Welcome to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. This is Pint Glass Football. Drink beer, talk football. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Social media is at PGF Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Fowler, and McKinsey Brewing is the official beer of Pint Glass Football. Find them online at McKinseyBrewing.com. We've got another great show for you guys. The NFL Divisional Round is this weekend. We're going to break it down for you and make our betting picks, of course. And joining me to do so is my co-host, Chad Smith. What is up, Chad? Brad, another great weekend of NFL football. We broke down the divisional games. We pretty much crushed our picks. I mean, we had the Rams. We had the Colts. We had the Washington football team. I had it at 8.5, so I think it slipped to 7.5. I took the Ravens. You had the Texans. That was a good pick between the two of us. We'll talk about that game and the controversial fourth and two on Baltimore's 40 and the punt by Vrabel. Wow, that was a that was a head-scratcher in its own right. Uh, final game, the upset, possibly the Browns sending Big Ben into retirement, but another dog on the road winning the way the Rams did. It was a great weekend of football. Monday night, gosh almighty, for Clemson to to get just throttled by Ohio State the way they did, Brad, to come out and just manhandle, take OSU out to the back alley of the bar and just beat him like a redheaded stepchild, that game was never in question. Uh, it's just it's mind-boggling to me why college football is where it is now, and we're going to talk a little bit about it and talk a few minutes about the CFP and maybe what some of the things that need to come as a result of change. But that game went all the way to nine and a half right before kickoff. So there was some serious sharp money coming in on Bama to move that line up. But let's get into it. We'll talk all about it. We're going to preview the upcoming games this weekend. We do have some good matchups. And we'll touch a little bit on uh, last weekend's games and then go from there. But I want to open, Brad, with the CFP. And something needs to change. I mean, I'm going to throw out some statistics and some numbers for you. Since 2015, when they put the CFP in place, there have only been 11 schools total that have made it to the four top teams in the playoffs, okay? So there have been 28 possible teams that could make it into the to that playoff, and there have only been 11. Alabama has been in it every year. Clemson has been in it since 2016, and they've been in it six straight years. The only other ACC school to get in is Florida State in 2015. There have only been two Big Ten schools. Ohio State has dominated that, being in four time, five times. Michigan got in once. There has only been one Big 12 school, Oklahoma, and there's only been one Pac-12 school, Washington. The SEC has won four championships. Alabama's won three of them. Clemson has won two, and Ohio State won that first year in 2015. This system is broken, in my opinion, Brad. It's time to consider something else, time to consider a change, some of the bias. I know people talked about the controversy with OSU getting in at three and what would you have done? You didn't want Clemson to have to play Notre Dame again. You didn't want A&M to be four and play Alabama because they played each other. Well, guess what? You had some great games this weekend. The Rams played the Seahawks for the third time. Browns played the Steelers for the first time. It was still good football. So sometimes you do have to have rematches. I know you mentioned it before about the reduction in potential scholarships because 
I'm going to read off to you Alabama's recruiting class in 2017. I want you just to listen. This is only part of this recruiting class, okay? Najee Harris, Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs III, Devontae Smith, Heisman winner, 215 yards, three touchdowns in the first half before he broke his thumb, Tua Tagaloboa, Alex Leatherwood, Dylan Moses, Xavier McKinney, Mac Jones, and Jedrick Wills. That is just from their 2017 recruiting class. Brad, I don't know what needs to be done here, but when you can just reload and reload, they went from Tua to Mac. Now they're going to Bryce Young. They, I mean, Najee Harris came in behind. There's going to be studs this year. Devontae Smith came in when Ruggs and Judy left. Alabama just continues to reload. And so I'm not sure what all needs to be done, but something needs to be done with it, Brad. But for me, this was one of the, without a doubt, most boring years of college football I've ever been a part of. I barely watched any of it. I just didn't. I didn't have an interest in it. Nothing excited me. The games were boring. The matchups weren't there. I don't know where college football goes from here, Brad. I think they may be in trouble. And if Alabama and Clemson and OSU keep getting in every year, people are just going to say, "That's you know what, I'm out. I'm done. I give up. I don't even watch a football game now. Alabama was up 28 last night. There were a lot of people that probably turned that game off midway through the third quarter and said, this game's over. So I want to get your thoughts on it. Then we'll touch on the some of the NFL uh, wildcard weekend games and then move into this uh, week's previews. Yeah, no doubt, Chad. And I was one of those guys that turned the game off midway through the third quarter. Alabama scored again, and I just said, you know what? This is boring. It, it just has been a boring year for college football, and it's really unfortunate Hats off to Alabama. Hats off to Nick Saban. I think at this point you can make a legitimate case that we are witnessing the greatest coach in college football history. But yeah, when you rattled off those players, Chad, for that 2017 class, it's just astonishing that every single one of those guys is either in the NFL or is going to the NFL. That is mind-blowing, and you're right. There's a definite imbalance of power in college football. And if you were to expand the playoff, which I think does need to happen, there's a good chance that Alabama keeps winning championships and Ohio state and Oklahoma and Clemson. And a lot of these schools that have been there a whole bunch, there's a good chance that they'll be there again, but at least you'd have more exposure to other schools. You'd have more exposure to other schools and more variety in, in the playoff. And you'd have more chances for some upsets, some some teams to make some noise. And, and I think it would help recruiting because if more schools were in the playoff, I think more of these high school kids would see more teams getting in and they'd have more options. They wouldn't feel like they had to go to Alabama or Clemson or Ohio State to win a championship or to compete for a championship. And so I think it does play a huge factor. And we talked about it before, but I think you've got to reduce the number of scholarships. You just, when you've got schools like this that are, at such a high level right now with recruiting and they're signing three and four five-star players at each position, it's almost ridiculous. And if you limited the number of scholarships, it would force some of those guys to rethink where they were going to go. And I think it would instantly create more balance. I think that is the most important thing that college football needs to do to try to shift this a little bit because yeah, for the rest of us who aren't rooting for the Crimson Tide, it's gotten boring. It just has, it's just not what it used to be. I know we all complained about the BCS era and it had its flaws too, but the college football playoff, it just, it needs to, they need to change it up. They've got to get more uh, teams involved in this. They've got to figure out a way to, to bring more exposure to more teams. And they've got to figure out a way to balance out this recruiting 
that has become just so lopsided. And I did want to correct you real quick, Chad, because actually two Pac-12 teams have made the college football playoff. Oregon made it in year one. But regardless, it still goes to your point that there's very few teams that have made this. And, and that just isn't good for the sport. But Chad, we did see an incredible weekend of NFL football. What an what a crazy wild card weekend that was. Absolute blast. We saw two upsets that uh, really stood out to me, and one was the Rams beating Seattle. It, it doesn't sh- completely shock me. We both liked the Rams in this game, and the line wasn't. Uh, I believe it closed at three. So the the odds makers clearly thought that this would be a competitive game. But when you've got a backup quarterback and then you've got him getting hurt early in the game and Goff coming in with a broken thumb and you still pull off a victory on the road against Seattle, I was really impressed and I was especially impressed with that Rams defense that is certainly making a case as one of the best in the NFL. They completely kept Russell Wilson in check. Jalen Ramsey just took DK Metcalf completely out of the game plan. He's been awesome. I think you can make a strong case that he's the best cornerback in the NFL right now. And with Aaron Donald, a one-man wrecking crew up front, they've also got a lot of other players on that defense that that get after the quarterback. They, they're an aggressive defense. They have a very they have very sound players at, at all three levels, whether it's the D-line, their linebackers. They really don't have very many holes on this defense. And they're going to be a tough out even with their quarterback issues. So I love what I saw from the Rams over the weekend. The Browns upsetting the Steelers was definitely shocking. And that game, Chad, we saw it right from the first snap, that the ball going over the head of Ben, Pouncey snapping it over his head, and basically spotting the Browns a touchdown to open that game. And the wheels just came off early in this one. It kind of goes back to something that people have talked about for a long time, the whole rest versus rust debate in Week 17, where you see these teams that have locked up playoff spots And so they rest a lot of their key players. They rest their quarterbacks, et cetera. And then they come in and they're either rested and sharp or they come in rusty and sloppy. And I think in this case, it clearly looked like the Steelers were just out of sync, especially at the start of that game. They just did not have their groove, been making poor decisions early in that game, and they just fell into a big hole quickly. And they rallied and actually made it somewhat competitive there. It almost looked like there for a minute they were going to create a huge comeback But on a fourth and one situation with, I believe it was about 12 minutes to go, maybe 13 minutes to go in the game, Tomlin decided to punt instead of go for it. And a lot of people blasted him for that. And I totally get why. I think it was one of those situations where Pittsburgh clearly had the momentum. They had the Browns on their heels. They were mounting this comeback. And I think going for it there would have put some more pressure on them. But at the same time, I do understand Tomlin's thinking in that situation. I think he was looking at it as there's still a lot of game left. His defense at that point had been playing very well in the second half, and they had been such a poor short yardage team pretty much all season long. They had struggled in those third and fourth and one situations, those goal line situations. They had been really bad, and I think he was thinking maybe just punt the ball try to get a quick three and out and and get it going again on offense. But unfortunately, it backfired badly and ended up being a terrible decision. The Browns went marching down the field after the punt and scored another touchdown and basically put it out of reach at that point. But what did you make of those two games, Chad? Well, the Rams game, it just 
we had kind of knocked on Seattle all year. I'd seen in the two previous games, road and home, when Jalen Ramsey had locked down Metcalf and Lockett in the second game, didn't emerge because they were getting the pressure on Wilson. They contained Carson in the run game. And, and Russell just didn't have the other leg of the weapons, and he wasn't using his legs. And they had the interception for the touchdown. Metcalf got behind him, Ramsey, on that one play. But outside of that, that was it. DK was non-existent. And I just think the Rams were the better team because typically what you see in the playoffs are teams with better defenses making making the big plays and making the difference. Even with the Bills being a mediocre defense, when Frank Reich went for it, when the Colts were up 10-7, to they could have kicked the field goal and made it 13-7 to on fourth and goal. The Bills stopped him, and it was a huge turning point in that game. So the Rams, I think they've got a tough test going into Green Bay this weekend. We don't know the status yet of Donald, if he's got a cracked rib or a fractured rib. I mean, for a guy of his caliber who can probably bite a freaking nail in half, for him to walk off the field and have to go into the locker room during the game, even though he came back out, that man had to be hurting because he's really – only a cape and an S on his chest from being short of Superman, in my opinion. But that's going to be interesting to see what that Rams defense can do going into Green Bay this weekend. Um, but you, your comments about the punt, I get it. I understand what you're saying about being a short yardage team and sucking all year. Tomlin, 12 minutes to go. Yes, Pittsburgh had stopped the Browns and had three straight three and outs. Here's my, here's my point, Brad. If it's fourth and one and you're at midfield – and you're an NFL team, even if you've had a really bad year, if you can't get one yard, yeah, Ben's not a mobile quarterback, so he wouldn't be able to scramble like a Tannehill or somebody like that would have or a Mahomes. You need to go home anyway, but it's midfield. It wasn't like they were on their own 25 or 30, okay? So even if that defense does his job and holds the Browns there, they punt them, maybe pin them deep. Maybe their punter punts it in an end zone and brings it back out to the 25, or they kick a field goal. It still makes it a two-possession game. But that was where my rub was, that it wasn't a field goal and a touchdown two-possession game. Pittsburgh was down 12 and needed to score twice. Now, if you're going to punt in that situation, then you damn well can't have your punter punt it in the end zone and it come back out to the 25. You have to pin deep there if you're going to punt. And in that situation, I would have preferred to have seen Pittsburgh go for it if they were to convert and then had that momentum. Big Ben was starting to connect with Claypool, Washington, Johnson, Juju. They were running with Connors semi-effectively. If they could have gone down and scored and made that a one-position game, I would like to have seen could the Browns have responded? Could they? Could that sphincter have tightened up a little bit? Would Baker have still been Baker when it was a full two-possession game? Would he have been as loosey-goosey? We will never know because Pittsburgh punted. But I still don't think that that was the most egregious punt of the weekend because I can understand Tomlin's logic. It was fourth quarter. I mean, they may maybe we're going to get two or three more possessions. When you look at the Ravens Titans game, it was 17 to 13. Tennessee was driving. Yes, Baltimore had done a tremendous job stopping Henry. He only gained 40 yards for the game, Brad. But it's fourth and two on Baltimore's 40 yard line, and you're down four points. It's the fourth quarter. There's 10 minutes left to go in the game, and you punt? What in the hell? If you can't, with Tannehill, with Brown, with Johnny Smith, 
I mean, hell, rope Derrick Henry out in the flat. Do a play-action pass. I don't understand for the life of me why you can't go for it there, Brad. Even if you do not get the first down there, they've still got to drive down and kick a field goal to make it a one-possession game. You punt, Baltimore ended up taking six or seven more minutes off the clock. Tucker kicked the field goal, makes it the final score that it was, 20-13, and then Tennessee has to drive the length of the football field with roughly about four minutes left to try to tie that game up. So there were some really bad judgment calls this weekend. And I think one of the (laughs) crazy things is you think about some of these coaches this year and some of the decisions that they've all been making, the Anthony Lynn clock management, the Fangio clock management, some of these crazy things. We blasted Doug Peterson for bringing in Nate Sudfeld and taking Hertz out, thinking like he was guaranteed the sixth pick. Guess what happened? He had it out with Lurie. Lurie says, hey, I think Wentz needs to be my guy. I mean, here's Doug Peterson, a winning coach, had a winning record, had the team. <laughs> and They won a Super Bowl three years ago. There's a statue outside that's the Philly Philly special. Foles and Doug Peterson are the statues, and neither one of them are in Philadelphia. What the hell? It's the NFL. But I just don't know. I mean, I don't know why these teams make these decisions they make. I'm tired of all this analytics and what it says that if you're if you're down eight, go for two or whatever, two scores. Like, just play football. But for me, the biggest shock of the weekend, I mean, was the Browns beating the Steelers. The Steelers had dominated them. You're right, resting people. Big Ben didn't play in Week 17. I thought he could have used the work to keep sharp with his guys. And they got down 28th nothing. They tried to claw their way back, but it was never going to be in doubt. But it was a great weekend of football. <clears throat> I think it's led to some really interesting matchups for this weekend, and we're going to get into those. But what are your thoughts about the Vrabel punt and then the, everything else that played out this weekend with the Peterson firing? Give me your two cents on that, and then we'll start breaking down these other games. Yeah, Chad, the, the Peterson firing is crazy because – like you said, just a couple years ago, this team was winning a Super Bowl. They looked like they were going to be a team that could possibly be a, a Super Bowl contender for the next several years to come, and the wheels have completely come off. And I think uh, Peterson's undoing was the benching of Carson Wentz. I, I get it why he did it, because Wentz had been terrible. He wanted to see what they had in Hurts, and Peterson's trying to win football games. So I understand what he's doing there, but when your owner just signed him to a huge deal, he wants to see that guy on the field. He doesn't want to see some $35 million quarterback on the bench. And so I understand why the owner was frustrated with Peterson and the way he handled that season. They just weren't a competitive football team. It just, they didn't look, they don't look anything like a team that you can build around and say, hey, in a couple of years, this team's got something going. If you look in that division, I look at a team like the Giants, and you can see that was a team that improved all year long. They were competitive. Even the games they lost, they rarely got blown out. They were in so many games this year, and they were a team that you can kind of see, okay, new coach, uh, new new players, a lot of new uh, rookies in the lineup, and they are showing that they're kind of working towards building something. It kind of feels like the future is bright in New York. I didn't get that feeling at all with Philly. It just looks like you've got a, a bunch of holes on this roster. And when you when you totally screw up the quarterback situation, I just think that was his undoing. But yeah, Philly is a total mess. And I have to think about coaches potentially coming into that Philly job. I really don't think it's that appealing of a job because you've got a, a quarterback that clearly the owner wants to be the starter 
who looks like a broken quarterback. He does not look like the guy we saw a couple years ago. He's been a mess. We know that. And the defense has a bunch of holes. You've got this backup quarterback who I think a lot of the Philly fans think should be starting, but I don't believe in him. I know you don't believe in him as a long-term answer in Jalen Hurts. And you've got a coach who won a Super Bowl three years ago, and he's already out. So how many coaches are going to want to come in there and say, hey, they just fired a Super Bowl winning coach three years in, or three years, I should say, after winning it? That doesn't really make you feel great about your longevity at coming in as a head coach. So I'm not sure what to make of Philly, but I think it's a total mess like we've talked about in recent episodes. And the Doug Peterson firing just signals how bad things have really gotten there in Philadelphia. But it'll be interesting to see who they bring in. It's funny how Peterson gets fired, but Howie Roseman, the GM, isn't being held accountable for this brutal contract. Even if Jeffrey Lurie wants Wentz to be the guy and he had a $35 million quarterback standing on the sidelines – that contract was put up by Roseman. So why is Roseman not being held accountable for this mess that they're in, this shitty draft that they've had, and the dysfunction within the team? I mean, they're getting ready to lose Ertz. They're getting ready to lose Kelsey. It's 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 a, it's a it's a dumpster fire right now, and you make a great point. What coach is going to want to come in? If I'm sitting there and I'm looking Lori dead in the eye, I'm like, Doug Peterson had a winning record. He won a Super Bowl. He took your team to the playoff three times. He won the NFC East multiple times. What assurance can you give me that three, four, five years in, you're not going to just rip my head off and shit down my neck too like you just did his? Because he just moved to the top of the ladder by all accounts in the head coaching search. I don't think any of those teams that fired guys in this last two, three, four, five weeks thought that a guy like that would be available. I, I mean, yeah, everybody's been talking about Eric being me to the Chargers. If I'm the Chargers, I might have to go take a look at Peterson. I mean, I don't think the guy's necessarily that bad of a coach. Yeah, no, you're right, Chad. I, I think you're definitely right because I think the GM does need to be held accountable because you're right. They gave him, they gave Wentz this huge contract, and he really hasn't proven anything that he's worth that kind of deal, and that was a bad deal. And you're right, they butchered this draft. There was nobody in this draft class that really did anything for them. Yeah, Hertz came in and gave them a little bit of a spark, but I don't think he's the answer at all. And so, and, and we touched on Jalen Rager and how brutal of a pick that ended up being. So yeah, I I wasn't impressed with with the season and how it played out. I wasn't impressed with with how the GM has handled things. And I'm surprised he didn't get the ax as well. I'm really surprised that Eagle ownership didn't just decide, hey, we're going to clean house and com- and start completely fresh here. So yeah, it's it's a it's a mess. No, no doubt about that. But Chad, we've got some killer games here in this divisional round. I want to start breaking these down here, Chad. We've got the number six seed LA Rams at the number one seed Green Bay Packers. This is a big-time matchup. It's really unfortunate that Goff isn't healthy. I think this could be a great matchup otherwise, but because of the uncertainty at quarterback and with their backup, John Wolford, getting hurt as well, it's really a huge mismatch. You've got Aaron Rodgers, who I think most agree is the MVP this year at quarterback. He was been He's been absolutely awesome. He's playing at a prime level right now. When your healthiest quarterback for the Rams is Blake Bortles, that's that's not good. So I, I think this is a game where we're looking at a pretty big mismatch. I think the Rams defense is going to have to play 
at an extremely, extremely high level if they're going to have any chance of pulling off a mega upset here, especially considering it looks like it's going to be about 30 degrees at Lambeau. And people from L.A., they wear jackets and beanies when it's 60 degrees out. So these L.A. guys, I think, are in for some shockingly cold weather and some crazy conditions going into Lambeau and going up against this red-hot Packers team. Now, I will say, though, we talked about it briefly here earlier. When you've got Jalen Ramsey, arguably the best cornerback in football, going up against Devontae Adams, arguably the best wide receiver in football, that is an awesome matchup to watch. That is going to be an absolute blast, Chad. I cannot wait. And you touched on it. We don't really know too much yet about Aaron Donald's health. For, for football fans and everybody that's going to be watching these games, I'm certainly hoping that he is healthy enough to play at a high level in this one because if he is and if this defense can get enough pressure on Rodgers and if Jalen Ramsey can slow down Adams enough, this might just be one of those crazy upsets that we look at you know, in a couple years ago. Man, how did they pull that off? Now, I'm not necessarily saying that's what's going to happen here, because I think Green Bay is just clicking at too high of a level. I like that their running game. I like their balance. And, and especially like we talked about, Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams, it's just an explosive combination. But I do think if that Rams defense can just play with their hair on fire, maybe, just maybe, we see a competitive ball game and maybe a Rams upset. What do you make of this one, Chad? I think it's going to be one of the more intriguing matchups. Rams are on a short week having to come back on Saturday, traveling again on the road for the second straight weekend. Don't know golf status. Don't know Donald's status. Goff threw a few passes that looked pretty decent, and then he threw a few that kind of looked like Peyton Manning that last season, just wounded ducks. It was, it was, there's some, but I get it. The, the thumb hasn't healed. Walford took that nasty hit, and all of a sudden it's like, hey, Willis Reed, get your ass back in. It's game seven. And he did lead the team to victory. I think he managed the game really well. Cam Akers is going to have to be a beast in this game, and the Rams are going to have to run the football with Worth come back. So that made a big difference in the stability with that offensive line. I, I've got to give such a massive edge to Rodgers here. I love matchups like this. Adams against Ramsey. Damn, that right there just alone is level five. Get your popcorn ready. I do think Adams will win out because he is such a precise route runner. And he's so great with his feet going in and out and Rogers making those wonderful back shoulder throws and everything else. If Adams gets his, then this is going to be over and it's going to be ugly. Green Bay will continually keep moving the chains and move the football with the run game in place. I think you're going to see sneaky DFS possibilities with Robert Tanyan and Valdez Scantling. Because if if Ramsey's on Adams locking him down, then the rest of that defense is going to have to step up. And if they don't get the pressure on Rodgers, but even at his age, Rodgers is still one of the better quarterbacks with his legs. He knows when to escape that pocket, and it's in Green Bay. I mean, the cold weather is going to probably be a little bit of a factor. Right now, I'm looking at Green Bay that it shows that it's minus six and a half. I'm really shocked that that is not greater than a touchdown with Donald and Goff status being where it is. So anything inside of a touchdown, I'm taking the Packers here, Brad. The over and under is 45 and a half. I don't see it being a really high-scoring football game. If you made me take anything, I would probably also lean toward taking the under. But I, I think Green Bay's defense comes in. I think they establish what they need to do on defense. 
and they get it done. They contain the Rams. They make sure the Rams can't run the football, and they're going to make golf beat them. And I don't know if Cup and Woods and Higby get it done in that cold weather. So I'm definitely leaning hard on the Packers here, and I think this is going to be a massive, massive money line bet that's going to be a single line bet or tied to parlays with Kansas City, and Vegas could be on the hook for a lot of money. Yeah, Chad, and the other thing about this game is reports are saying that Cooper Cup also might be dealing with an injury. So that's definitely uh, hurts this offense as well. He's been a key wide receiver for them these last few years. And in, in general, this Rams team just isn't very healthy, which is kind of unfortunate because if they were healthy, I think this would be an awesome, awesome matchup to watch. I still think it's going to be fun. I just wish the Rams were healthy and we got to see both these teams at full strength. But unfortunately, it doesn't look like we're going to be able to see that. And I do think because of that and the home field, gives Green Bay enough of an edge in this one. I will say the one advantage the Rams have in this game is that Sean McVay should really know this Green Bay offense inside and out. He coached with Matt LaFleur and was McVay's offensive coordinator in 2017, and they've coached together for four years in Washington as well. So these are guys that are very familiar with each other, and so I do think that familiarity could make it difficult more difficult, I should say, than some other matchups that you would see. That's very rare to see two coaches that know each other this well. So I do think that's a fascinating look into this game. But I'm with you, Chad. Six and a half, Green Bay at home. I'm going to lay the points in this one as well. If it was above a touchdown and I knew Aaron Donald was going to be coming in healthy, I might take the Rams if it was plus seven or seven and a half. If I was getting more than a touchdown, I think there could be some value there because I do think this game might be a little closer than people think if that Rams defense can play lights out and if they can get the running game established, which, let's face it, that is one of the Packers' weaknesses is they aren't great against the run. So I think if those two things play out, this this game could be close down the stretch, but only laying the 6.5, I'm going to have to be on the Packers' side on this one Give me the Packers minus six and a half. And I still think we could have hopefully a good game though in Green Bay. So Chad, the next game on Saturday is the number five seed Baltimore Ravens taking on the Buffalo Bills, the two seed. The Bills, you know, they really didn't look that great versus the Colts. And that was a game that you and I both were on the Colts uh, side of that one, we we felt confident that the Bills would more likely win, but we lo- we thought there was a lot of value in the Colts getting points in in that game, and it certainly showed up. That was a competitive ball game all the way through, and this is a fascinating matchup with the running game of Baltimore and all the unique things they do on offense. It's it's going to be interesting to see how they match up in against Buffalo that didn't quite look as unbeatable as they had in the regular season. They, they just, they, they played well, but they didn't look as sharp as I thought they did in, in weeks 15, 16, 17 and so forth. So it'll be interesting to see how they match up in this one. That Ravens defense really played well last week. I was pretty impressed from what I saw from them. I thought that game was going to be a shootout. Both teams' defense actually played much better than I expected. And so with Baltimore, I think they've got some players that can create some problems for Buffalo. The running game, I think, could create some problems with Buffalo. And the Bills' running game is virtually non-existent, especially after losing 
Moss, their backup running back. And so I, I think this is a fascinating matchup, Chad. What do you make of this game? Buffalo, listen, they are a legit 14-3 and team. They've got one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL. Allen is on a short list this year of MVP. He will probably get some votes. I'm, I'm worried about that defense because Taylor and Hines looked really good. I mean, we both, like you said, we're on the Colts coming off the five and one weekend. I think you were four and two. It's one of those deals where I, I'm. I, this is a tough game for me because Buffalo has not been great against the run all year, and Baltimore they're going to run the football down your throat. Lamar Jackson, even though he's a running quarterback, I get it, I understand that he had ninety three more yards from scrimmage than Derrick Henry did in that game. And if the Baltimore Ravens can control uh, uh, the running game with only Singletary now, who's not a legit running back, and keep Josh Allen in a pocket with his legs, I have to give the decided edge to the Ravens in this game. And the player that I called out last week, Hollywood Brown, needed to have the big game in that game against Tennessee. He did. I think he was one of the difference makers. And this week, the player that I'm thinking has to have the big game and have the breakout game for Baltimore is going to be J.K. Dobbins and utilizing him in the running game and out of the backfield, sprinkling in some tight end with Mark Andrews. And if the Ravens can continue to move the football the way they did in the second half, they looked a little sluggish to start out, getting down 10 nothing. but then they turned the Jets on. This is going to be a tough, tough task for the Baltimore uh, – I mean, for the Buffalo Bills to win this game. I am going to take the Ravens and the points here. It's two and a half. It's, I mean, but Vegas knows what they're doing. They've got that right inside that three line. So essentially they're basically saying the this is a pick 'em game. And I, I just I won't I want this to be a great game. But if Buffalo cannot slow down the run game and that sets up everything else for the Ravens, this this could be a long day for Baltimore. I mean for the for the Buffalo Bills because I think if you go back and look at that game, the Colts had more than one opportunity. I mean, the Colts moved the football on the Bills the entire game, and I got a feeling Baltimore is going to do the same. It's going to be a great game, but I'm taking Baltimore and the points here and over and under. I think it might might surprise somebody that this might be a lower scoring game and it might be dominated by the by the Ravens. I'm I'm going to lean under here as well on that, but. I think it's going to be the best quarterback matchup of the weekend. Chad, I think I'm with you. I really went back and forth on this game a lot when looking into this matchup. I think this game, the winning team is going to be the one that can really slow down the opposing quarterback. And I think with Lamar Jackson and his ability to run with all the RPO stuff, the play action, and you hit on it, J.K. Dobbins and that running game for Baltimore is going to have to be great. I just don't know if the Bills match up well on the defensive side of the ball to be able to slow down this running attack. I think this could be one of those games you hit on it. I think it could be a low-scoring game. It could be more of a grinder. I think Baltimore has some long, pounding, clock-killing drives. They keep Josh Allen in that offense on the sidelines. And with the way the Baltimore defense has played in recent weeks, playing much better than the defense we saw midseason, I think they might just have enough firepower on that side of the ball to make Josh Allen in this offense just a little uncomfortable. And with points maybe being at a premium in this game, I like Baltimore as well getting two points in this one. If you look at Baltimore, their four, or I should say four of their five losses this season 
They came against head coaches with a defensive background, Mike Tomlin, Bill Belichick, and Mike Vrabel. So usually that's the kind of teams that it takes to slow down this type of offense. You need great defensive teams. You need great defensive minds. Now the Titans weren't a great defensive team, but Vrabel knows how to scheme things up when it comes to that Baltimore team. And he always has his guys in the right position, it seems like. I don't see that with the Bills. The Bills are an offensive-minded club. They're a team with an offensive-minded coach. And I think that this could create problems for them. I've got the Ravens in the upset as well, Chad. And give me the two points. I think there's value there because I think I want to sprinkle some on the money line as well and take Baltimore to win this game outright. Yeah, I'm definitely going to have a couple of big money line parlays this weekend. And I'm going to go Green Bay, Kansas City in a parlay. And I'm going to put those two alone in it. Then I'm going to put one with Baltimore in it and put more with the Baltimore. And then I will turn around and then go Green Bay, Kansas City, and a smaller one with Buffalo because there's a little bit of value with that. Probably going to be around plus 140, maybe be my guess, ballpark. And I'm just not going to touch this Saints Tampa Bay game. I just don't want any part of it from a betting perspective. We'll talk about it in a minute and still make our pick. But yeah, I'm going to go heavy with Green Bay and Kansas City on Moneyline Bar this weekend. That's why I said I think Vegas, if if Kansas City and Green Bay wins, Vegas is going to be light in the pocketbooks come uh, Monday morning. Yeah, no, no doubt about that, Chad. And speaking of Kansas City, that's going to be the next game. It's a Sunday game. Number six seeded Cleveland taking on the number one seeded Kansas City Chiefs. This one is at a it, right now. I'm looking at the Chiefs as a ten point favorite. Clearly, Vegas thinks that this is a bad matchup for the Browns. I agree with them, Chad, because we talked about it a, a minute ago with the Pittsburgh Steelers playing Cleveland last week, and we saw just how rusty they were, how sloppy they were. But when you look at it, Ben still, even though he had those interceptions. He still lit this secondary up for 500 yards and four touchdowns. I can't imagine what Patrick Mahomes is going to do to this secondary. Not only is this one of the worst secondaries, probably the worst secondary in the playoffs right now, but they also are banged up on that side of the ball as well. I just don't think there's any way that they've got the horses to slow down Tyreek Hill and Kelsey and all the weapons that this Chiefs team can throw at you. I think it's a long, long day for the Browns, and I think that their bubble gets bursted on this one after a big upset win. I know they're riding high, and they looked they looked good for the most part against Pittsburgh, but this, this Kansas City Chiefs team on offense is just a whole other animal. I don't see Kansas City coming out flat. I don't see them coming out sloppy and rusty like we did Pittsburgh. I think they put it on them early, and if you can get, if Kansas City can get up quickly in this game like we know they're capable of if Kansas City goes up 10 nothing or 14 nothing early in this game that is going to completely take Cleveland out of its game plan it's going to take away their ability to feed those dynamic running backs and be able to pound the ball and it's going to force Baker Mayfield to throw the ball and try to play catch up and I really don't like Baker versus Mahomes in a track meet Andy Reid and the rust versus rest conversation for him. For his team, it's almost always rest because Reid is 23-3 and coming off of a bye, including playoff games. He is basically unbeatable in those situations. And if you look at home divisional teams, they're 22-6 and in the past seven years. So that's roughly about one upset per year. I don't see it in this one, certainly, like we talked about. 
So I'm going to take Kansas City. I think 10 is a lot. I, I hate laying that kind of number. I could see maybe a backdoor cover here, but I just don't know how the Cleveland Browns compete with this Chiefs team, Chad. I, I'm with you, Brad. I'm I'm laying the points. I'm sorry. I mean, Browns, it's been a great year. Stefanski has been a solid coach. That run game has been very impressive. They 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 made the playoffs. I mean, Baker broke a lot of old, staunchy 0-17 against Pittsburgh, hadn't made the playoffs. I mean, there's been a lot of feel-good stories and moments this year for the Browns. And just a side note prop, I saw it actually on TikTok. There was a guy that was a lifelong Browns fan who was rapidly declining with cancer. And they were like, this guy's getting ready to go into hospice. And Baker Mayfield's wife gave up her suite to him and his friend uh, who brought him, and they stayed COVID compliant. They did everything with masks and all that. And she gave up the suite completely to them and let them enjoy that game. The Browns beating the Steelers, making the playoffs for the first time in, in a long, long time, and then set it up to where after the game was over, Baker met this guy. And I just was like, you know, that's one of those feel-good moment props. And so I, I, I think Cleveland is building something. OBJ comes back next year. You got Landry. You got some of these other weapons. But that defense was suspect. Yeah, Pittsburgh was in catch-up mode, but that secondary got lit up. And I, there's just no way they shut down Hill, Watkins, Robinson, Hardman, Kelsey. If you're playing DFS this weekend – and you do not have Kelsey and Hill in your lineup, probably should go ahead and pair them with Mahomes and spend the money on all three of those. The line is uh, the over and under 50 in this game. I mean, 55 and a half. They're expecting it to potentially be a shootout. That defense is is really still brutal at the end of the day. And I, I'm laying the points with you, Brian. I just don't think there's any way that by the end of the third quarter, the, the, the Chiefs aren't up 17-21 in this game. Yeah, they're the better football team, but I just think they're playing at home. They're not going to come in rusty, and I just don't see the Browns slowing them down. And I don't think it goes over. I just don't know if Cleveland puts up the points. If they have to rely on Baker, if they get down, they have to change that game plan. They can't utilize Chubb and Hunt, and they got to have Baker with Hooper and Landry and Higgins throwing the football. The Browns, the Browns, it's going to be a long day for the Browns. And so you've you've made your pick. I've made mine. Now we're looking at the Tampa Bay New Orleans game. This is the third matchup this year. This is Brady versus Breeze. Breeze is heading into retirement. The Saints are at home. They're a three and a half point favorite. For me, Brad, I still I am not convinced on Breeze and his ability to make teams get stretched out on defense. Everything has still been dink and dunk. He's been utilizing Jared Cook. Kamaras, they're obviously, without a doubt, their main weapon. Michael Thomas has been non-existent this entire year. The Saints defense has been pretty good. They shut down the Bears. Whoopty shit. The Bears were a mediocre 8-8 eight and eight team that backdoored their way into the playoffs because the Rams couldn't beat a backup quarterback in Week 17 to get in. So I don't know if the Saints coming off this Bears win gives them much momentum. I actually thought Tampa Bay had to go out and play a full, complete game to beat Washington on the road. But now this is their second week on the road. Put a gun to my head right now and tell me, who do you want to take? This is a tough, tough, tough one for me because I'm looking at three and a half. It might be three. If you see three, let me know. But 
I think it's going to be one of these crazy, weird, low-scoring games. It's going to be like a 17-10, 17-13. I just don't think you're going to see the offense that you've been seeing from either of these teams. And I think it's going to be one of these grinding-out games on defense. If I put any money, hardcore money on it, I would take the under. It's 51 and a half. But I, I'm going to I'm going to go with the Saints here, Brad. I, I, I don't know why my gut's telling me. I think they find a way at home to pull it out. It's going to be a good football game, and it's going to wrap up that weekend. So I'm going to take the Saints reluctantly, very reluctantly. I'm going to say it with very soft voice so that if I lose the pick, I'm not going to really remember it. But uh, that's what I've got. So what are your thoughts? Yeah, Chad, jumping into this Tampa Bay matchup versus the Saints, this is a really intriguing game, the five seed versus the two seed. And when you look at this matchup, I wasn't that impressed with what I saw from the Saints. I think when you look at what they did against the Bears, the Bears offense was completely atrocious. And I know the Saints defense had something to do with that, but this was really a bad offense. The Saints had so many opportunities to to put up points in that game, and they really didn't do a whole lot in that one. I, I just don't like what I've seen from Drew Brees. I, I just don't think he's even close to the player that we've seen in years past. He's a dink and dunk underneath guy. I think there's a formula to beat this Saints team, and I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have the guys to do it. Linebacker Devin White is returning for this game. He's Tampa Bay's best defensive player. He is an absolute stud linebacker, and getting him back for this one is absolutely huge. You look at Tom Brady in this quarterback matchup, Brady is playing at such a higher level than Breeze right now. I think there's a huge edge at quarterback in this game. I think Tampa Bay's defense isn't quite as good as the Saints, but it's very good. And when you look at the running game for Tampa Bay, I think they've got the horses there. I just think Tampa Bay checks too many boxes in this one. And if you look at Tampa Bay, or excuse me, if you look at Tom Brady, he's never lost to a team three times in a season. I don't think it happens in this one either. I think this is where the magic runs out for the Saints. I just don't think you can hit four and five-yard passes all day long to try to beat this, this Tampa Bay team. I think they have too much firepower. I think they're a team that can beat you over the top and can and can just do too many things on the offensive side of the ball. So I think this is going to be a competitive ball game. It certainly wouldn't surprise me if the Saints won. That defense is nasty. They've got one of the best running backs in the game. They've got a lot of pieces on offense, but I just haven't liked, like I said, I haven't liked what I've seen from this offense in recent weeks. And I just think Tampa Bay is playing at a higher level right now. So give me the Bucks plus three. I'm looking on my website. It looks like ESPN has the Bucks as a or excuse me, the Saints is a three-point favorite. So I'll take Tampa Bay plus three. If it's three and a half on your side, or if you can get that number, I think that's even better, of course. But I think this is going to be a great matchup. So I'm going to take Tampa Bay in a close game. I like the under as well. I think both of these defenses is going to keep this score down. So give me the under and Tampa Bay plus three or three and a half if you can get it. Well, for myself and for Chad, hope you guys enjoyed this episode. We're going to be back next week breaking down more playoff stuff all the way to the Super Bowl in Miami when they hand out the Lombardi. PGF Nation, we love you guys. Thanks for all the continued support, and we will catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at PGF Podcast.